You are now listening to the Motown Sports Talk Podcast. Here's your hosts, Jordan and Jimmy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Today is August 23rd, 2020. My name is Jordan, and this is Jimmy. He's a board-certified doctor in family medicine from the University of Michigan Medical School. Just to let everyone know, to start the season off, we're actually going to be streaming, um, doing kind of like a live episode, a live Q&A with fans. For the, uh, we're going to be live streaming the um, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans. We're not going to be able to live stream it, obviously, because of copyright reasons, but we're going to be live streaming us and doing Q&A and we're going to be watching the game off air and we're going to be kind of commentating and giving our uh, our commentary about the game and our thoughts, opinions about the first NFL game and how it's going to be with no fans in the stadium. And just to let everyone know, we're also increasing our fantasy football league because it filled up pretty quick. So we're going to be increasing it to 14 total. If that doesn't fill up, then we'll just keep it down to 12. But again, if anyone is interested, it is open to anyone and everyone. There are the more the merrier. We're trying to get a pretty deep league going. And then as of, we got some breaking news as of this morning, we're just going to talk about real quickly. I know Earl Thomas has been released from the Ravens and a lot of Lions fans have been claiming that we should be signing him. And I personally do not think that that is true. I don't think we should be signing him. There's a reason that he got released from the Ravens and that is because of conduct detrimental to the team. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but there was some big fight that happened on the thing on the practice field Jim Harbaugh just said it went on too long and he didn't like the way it affected the team's practice or something like that so yeah I don't think we should sign him Jimmy what do you think about this I agree we shouldn't sign him uh contact detrimental the team can mean many different things Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot more than the training camp fight we see fights all the time you don't cut guys you gave a four-year 55 million dollar contract with a 20 million dollar signing bonus you don't cut them for a simple training camp fight Mm -hmm. there was an article on tmz if you saw that where he had a mistress pointing a gun at his head who was threatening to shoot him (laughs) and his wife or whatever Maybe that's part of the issue. So there's definitely more to the story that we don't know about. Oh, yeah. Right now, Earl Thomas is 31 years old. He's got a $10 million base salary for this year. So not somebody we want to take a chance on. We got, we're got we set at the first three safety positions anyway. Exactly. I completely agree with you. He is somebody we do not need. And obviously, he's going to request probably just as much, if not I'm very close to that amount of money that he originally signed with, with the Ravens. So it's going to be interesting to see if any te- team even takes a shot at signing him. But either way, we'll move on. And something we'll start with is something that the Lions have recently experienced. And that's the fact that false, pod is, false positives are possibly becoming a very common issue this year in the NFL. Because there has been six separate NFL teams that have had false positives. That's not including the Lions. So, such as the Jets having 10 false positives and the Bears having nine altogether as well between staff and players. So once again, the NFL's claimed that they'd make adjustments after the whole Stafford situation, but that does not seem to have fixed anything yet. Luckily, the Lions seem to have no other issues with the false positives or COVID list. We've had a few players come off the list recently as well. So, Jimmy, why do you think the NFL is continuing to have these issues? All right, well, let's take a look at the facts so far. So breaking news just came down today, today, Sunday. So the Saturday COVID testing returned a bunch of positive tests from the same lab in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. which 
affected 10 to 11 teams, including the Lions, Mm -hmm. in addition to the Bears, Bills, Browns, Jets, Vikings, and more. The Lions actually had one positive test out of it. And as you mentioned, many teams had 10 plus positive tests out of it. Now, that doesn't just include the players. That includes the staff also. So we don't know exactly how many players did. Uh, According to Albert Breer, the total positives were less than 100. Now, there are some updates today, which was a lot of teams postponed practice until the afternoon in the hopes that they could get cleared. So they did some rapid tests done this morning. Uh, the Bears, which had nine positive tests yesterday, Saturday morning, mm-hmm. did some of these rapid tests done this morning, and now they're all calling all of those false positives <laughs> just based on the rapid test. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this brings me back to my what we talked about last week and the week before that, which was the whole false positive thing. I think it's they, the NFL needs to be very careful about calling these things false positives. I yeah. don't think that's really appropriate to do so. Dr. Sills, the chief medical officer, has never used the term false positive when describing Matthew Stafford's test. He called it an unconfirmed positive. Mm-mm. So... How do how does the NFL know or are deeming these false positives? Well, keep in mind, there's no gold standard test. Mm-hmm. So it's difficult, if not impossible, to confidently say anything is a false positive. All the NFL is doing is repeating the same tests over the next day. And the false negative rate is widely considered to be much higher than the false positive rate. So it we could be dealing with false negatives more than a false positive. Mm -hmm. However, there's a specific situation here in that one certain lab in New Jersey seemed to have a spike in positive tests. This is one of the few situations where you might be able to have some reasonable confidence in saying it could be a false positive. That's because, let's say you normally have a less than 1% positive rate. And on a single testing cycle with a single lab, you get a huge spike. Let's say it jumps to like 50% mm-hmm. positive rate. And then immediately at the next cycle, it drops back to less than 1%. Then potentially with that kind of specific situation, you could think there's a lab error, maybe a contamination, and reasonably confidently dismiss it as a false positive. Yeah. Well, with the... Bear situation, which is one of the more widely reported ones, they had nine positive tests. They have at least 80 players, at least 40, 50, if not 100 staff who are getting Mm -hmm. tested. So nine out of 150 to 200 is only about 5% or so. That doesn't seem like a huge, overly suspicious spike to me. That would be more consistent with just a, a mini outbreak of COVID. So... I still have questions about how the NFL is deeming these false positives. And I would like to hear from Dr. Seals himself yeah, and not just these team statements, just inappropriately, maybe rashly just calling these false positives to calm the public down or for optics reasons. Exactly. So that's another question I'm sure a lot of fans have, is you said that it keeps coming from this lab in New Jersey. Is that where all of the NFL teams are sending their tests or are there are multiple labs around that the NFL teams are using? There are multiple labs. Apparently there are five or six labs. So all of these, this big spike came from this one lab in New Jersey. Hmm. So 
right now, what are the teams doing this morning? They've been doing the POC test, which is the rapid test. Yeah. They're supposed to be, according to the updated protocol post-Stafford, they're supposed to be doing the POC test and the PCR test. And if both of those come back negative, then the player can play. Well, the PCR test takes a lot longer to come back. It could take 24 hours to come back. Mm -hmm. So if the teams are already letting themselves, letting them the players practice this afternoon and just basing the false positive designation on the POC test. Now that's a changing the protocol already mm. with the NFL. They're, they're already breaking protocol. So are they adjusting the protocol? Are they changing it again with the hopes that the players could play in a game the very next day? That sort of seems like what the idea seems to be based mm. on what I'm reading. Yeah. It's going to be real interesting to see how, the again, the teams are going to be going about and if they can alter some of these tests or try to manipulate some of these tests. But this kind of ties into our next situation, which is about fantasy football and sports betting. This is, year is going to be far different than any other year, again, because you have to take into so many different things into account. Not only do you have to watch for injuries during the week, during practice, you now have to pay attention to co covid positive tests who was a false positive who could be again a false positive something like that who has already tested positive and been confirmed positive in the past and has that possibly 90-day exemption period which the nfl recently talked about and you and me discussed it being possibly a three-month period last week on our show so jimmy do you think that there's any way that the nfl like can fix this or alleviate it and somehow and how do you think it's really going to affect fantasy football and sports betting like in general well i think the nfl is doing fine overall i think they've been doing a fantastic job with covid they mm -hmm. just need to get these protocols tightened down yeah and they need to have a singular voice a single voice out there sort of talking to the public and talking about these tests yeah Again, I don't think Matthew Stafford's test was a false positive, and Dr. Sills agrees based on his conference call. Mm -hmm. He said that Stafford likely had virus particles in the sinuses and very likely had COVID at some point. To me, that is not a false positive. That's a true positive. <laughs> so last week we talked about the possibility that the NFL would increase the COVID testing exemption from 30 days to 90 days because of the new CDC guideline recommending a 90-day exemption. Mm -hmm. Well, about three days later, that's what the NFL did, according to Pro Football Talk. Yeah. What does this mean for the players? Anybody who tests positive and remains asymptomatic will not be tested for 90 days. If the player is symptomatic, then they should be getting a full evaluation, COVID testing, and the appropriate quarantine time, which likely will be around 10 days. Yep. The big question is whether Matthew Stafford uh, will get a 90-day exemption or not. It, to recap his situation, he had a single isolated positive test. Dr. Sills did not call it a false positive in his conference call. He called it an unconfirmed positive, which in my mind is just a creative way to say an isolated true positive. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think he used that label to save a little bit of face after the Lions' initial statement inappropriately called it a definitive false positive. My guess is that the NFL does give Stafford a 90-day exemption. I've yet to see any information from any reporters if Stafford is 
getting the exemption or currently getting tested or not. Mm -hmm. I had a little mini conversation with Justin Rogers on Twitter about it. And I asked him directly if he knew if Stafford was getting tested daily, but he didn't get back to me. <laughs> so this kind of information will be super valuable. If any beat reporters are out there, if they want to get some really valuable information. This would be great information to know. Mm -hmm. Because as you mentioned, it directly affects fantasy and gambling interests. Mm -hmm. For fantasy, you will want to keep track of who is test exempt so you don't get surprised by a positive test on game day. Yeah. Those exempt guys will not be sidelined by a COVID test, assuming they're asymptomatic. Now, if you're a gambler, you're going to want to keep track of which quarterbacks are test exempt. Quarterbacks are the guys who can swing a line seven points or more. Yeah. So Stafford, if he's 90-day exempt, that puts him free from testing until early November, mm -hmm. like game eight of the season. Yeah. So you feel comfortable putting your money on the lines because he's not going to get knocked out due to COVID, assuming he's test exempt. Again, we don't know for sure right mm -hmm. now. Now, with this new breaking information that just happened today with all these supposed possible false positives from the single lab. We don't know how these players are going to be handled. Are they going to get a test exemption? Are they not going to get a test exemption? We don't know. Yeah. Again, it's going to be real interesting to see. It's going to be a far different season than anyone's been. So people are going to have to really pay attention this year. If you're trying to play fantasy, especially when it comes to like daily fantasy, or again, if you're putting big money on the line, you better be very, very positive that there's not going to be any positive tests that week or hope that there's not going to be any false positives coming out from that team. And another benefit of testing positive during training camp and recovering fully is the player might have some immunity. So even after the 90 day test exemption, he might still have immunity, which could possibly decrease his chance of a positive test in the future. Mm -hmm. Now we got some more information just this past week about the lions who confirmed to test positive besides Stafford. It was Justin Coleman, Galladay, Hawkinson, yep. Jalen Elliott, and Aaron Sipos. The other two guys on the COVID list were Isaac Nada and Oruarie, but I'm going to assume they probably tested positive. Also, technically they can be on the COVID reserve list just for having exposure or some other reason, but that might just be a hedge so that they don't have to, the NFL doesn't have to actually admit that anybody was positive or uh, create a privacy issue. Exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the lions had the most players on the or on the COVID list at one time. I'm not sure I haven't been keeping up with other teams, but as far as I know, the lions have had the most positive test other than you might be right. They seem to be at the higher end. Yeah, so again, I don't really follow other teams' COVID lists, but as far as I know, it seems like the Lions are higher up there. So we could have a lot of players. You said like Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, or not Marvin Jones, uh, TJ Hawkinson, and Matthew Stafford. That's already three players who hopefully could be 90 days exempt. So again, good fantasy players are good gambling uh, things to mention and point out. So Now I need a comment on this whole COVID reserve list and who is on it. I had suspected that there was something a little fishy about how amazingly low the COVID list number was. Uh, the last check was only four guys in the entire league were on the COVID reserve list. Yeah. A bunch of guys were kept coming off. Nobody was coming on. So I had the suspicion that these unconfirmed positives like Stafford were just quietly missing two or three days of practice 
and not getting put immediately on the COVID list. An example in the Lions situation might be Bo Scarborough, mm-hmm. who's missed a few days of practice with no reported injury or anything. Maybe he had a positive test and they're trying to get some negative tests and get him back to practice in a quiet manner. Exactly. Well, guess what? This was confirmed by a statement by Steelers GM Kevin Colbert today. Uh, his statement was, on Saturday, we had six players absent from practice due to our adherence to the NFL COVID-19 protocol. None of those players were required to be placed on reserve COVID-19 and will be returning to meetings today and practice on Monday. So he <laughs> admits and acknowledges that you can test positive for COVID and not go on the COVID reserve list. Jeez. So there's a lot of fudging going on. There's a lot of... Uh, leeway going on with this whole COVID list. And I think the main reason for it is optics. Mm -hmm. The NFL wants the optics to look good regarding COVID. And I actually fully support it. Optics do matter in our hypercritical society. And the NFL has taken unfair criticism in the past for, in my opinion, unfair criticism for issues like concussions, off the field punishment issues like the Ray Rice situation. So (laughs) I understand and support the NFL wanting the optics to look good in regards mm-hmm. to COVID. So you can't really take a lot of things that are going on at face value right now. Yeah, they're like as I just mentioned earlier, there's going to be so many ways for teams to manipulate and try to work around this whole COVID list, this whole, and about coming out and just finding out the players have tested positive in any way. So, but moving on, kind of tying into this whole gambling and fantasy football aspect, um, another bit of news out of Lions camp that wasn't really surprising, to be honest, is that there's not going to be any fans at Ford Field for at least the first two games. Honestly, I think it's going to be more likely that it'll be more than that at some point. But just, again, as I mentioned, this kind of ties into fantasy and sports betting. How do you think that this is going to affect players mentally? And just do you think they're going to be getting accustomed to no fans in the stadium on game day? Right. Minimal effect, if any, in my opinion. Uh, Most teams are on a level playing field here. Like Green Bay is not going to have fans in week two. The Lions are playing at the Cardinals in week three. I'm unsure about their fan status. I looked it up. I couldn't find any any information at this point. Mm -hmm. But most teams are not going to have fans the first two to four weeks of the season. So it's a pretty level playing field. And even the teams that do have fans, they're only having 10 to 20,000 at most. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't think fans affect games nearly as much as they did, say, 10 or 20 years ago. Teams are so good at silent counts now that I don't see any significant competitive disadvantage if one team has fans and another team doesn't. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And also with pretty much every single team, I believe, does not have fans at training camp right now. And I understand that's kind of a big adjustment. Some players have said that that's kind of – it was kind of weird at first, but they're getting more accustomed to it. So, again, if they can get accustomed to just no fans at training camp and just getting used to, like, hey, it's just us out here, we got to make our own intensity, then they can get bring that same intensity to game day with them and, bring the, again, figure out how to bring their own intensity without any fans in the stadium. So we'll move on, and basically for the last topic, we're just going to kind of do a whole recap of our, the first week of training camp. 
And the biggest concern so far coming out is that seventh round pick Jashawn Cornell has been placed on IR with what appears to be an Achilles injury. He was potentially going to have, a, I wouldn't say a big role, but he was potentially going to be a rotational player on this defensive line and actually get quite a few snaps. But luckily, so far, there hasn't been any other big significant injuries. What do you think about Deshaun Cornell, Jimmy? And do you think it's going to be a significant injury affecting him long term down the road? Yeah, I think it's significant. His Instagram confirmed that it was an Achilles, so likely a full Achilles tear here. Mm-hmm. That's not a good injury. It's worse than an ACL. The ACL is a ligament connects bone to bone. The Achilles is a tendon connects muscle to bone. For some reason, players have a tough time coming back from that kind of thing. We've seen this before with Mikel LaShore, basically ruined his career. More recently, Kerry Hyder, he was never the same. And if you want to go far back, Bryant Westbrook, who was our first round pick in 1997. This is before your time, (laughs) Jordan. But I still remember him tearing his Achilles against the Vikings. It was near the goal line. This guy was a promising cornerback for us, a, a big, strong cornerback, and the Achilles ruined his career. Jeez. Yeah, it's terrible. The Achilles can be, again, very detrimental to a player's career in the long term. So I can't think of any players off my head that have successfully come back. And there have been players that have come back and done all right, but you said they just do not come back and they're not that same player after they – tear that Achilles so again other than that there hasn't really been any big injuries from Lions training camp luck so far but a couple other takeaways is that Jonah Jackson was starting with the uh, the first teams on the offensive line do you think that's going to continue into the season and do you think that he is a bigger upgrade over some of the veterans that we've got on the team currently right now yeah I think it's great to see him starting at right guard right off the bat Uh, Mm -hmm. Before I get too far into this, I want to give some credit to all the hard work the beat reporters are doing who are watching the practices and reporting stuff because this is where we're getting a lot of our information. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Guys like Justin Rogers, Burkitt, Meinke, Michael Rothstein, Eric Schlitt, Tim Twentyman, Chris Burke, and a few others, but I've probably forgotten. But credit to those guys for a lot of our information. So I really, we really appreciate that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Otherwise we would have no information because again, there's no fans at training camp. It's not like we can report anything. So that's all we basically have to go off is their voice. Right. So Jonah Jackson starting at right guard, the entire uh, training camp. To me, this is expected. This is sort of a pattern for the Lions with their offensive line picks. They throw them right in there. They don't mess around. Mm -hmm. And a third-round offensive guard is an expected starter. I think that guy you're expecting to be an instant starter. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, one of the reasons they picked him, especially in this COVID year. They got an instant starter in the second round with a running back, instant starter in the third round with the offensive guard. There are other positions where they're not going to be an instant starter. Like if you pick a cornerback in the third round, you're lucky if he's a viable backup someday. Exactly. But offensive guard, he's starting, should be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, mention about cornerback, look at T's table from a few years ago. He was expected to be a big part and ended up kind of being a big bust from the second round. So, And, yeah, that was a second, not even a third round pick. So. Right. Yeah, one other thing, again, talking about cornerbacks, Okuda, uh, yeah, Okuda is actually running with the second team currently, but honestly, it's kind of expected. I mean, cornerback is kind of a little bit harder position. Also, we have kind of uh, veterans at the position with Justin Coleman, Desmond Trufant, and some other players up there above him. So what do you think about just Okuda staying with the second teams currently? Yeah, I don't read too much into that. I agree with you. Cornerback's a tough position for rookies. 
So he's running with the second team now, but he's going to get tons of playing time and likely will be a starter by the time the season starts. Exactly. The more reps, the better you get. That's what they say. Practice makes perfect. So just give him more time. But again, another interesting note. I don't know what you can take this for what you will, but Tracy Walker is running with the second teams and Will Harris is running with the first teams currently. Again, I'm take that with, with read into that with what you will. But I guess, what do you think about that, Jimmy? I don't know. I'm not reading anything into it. They could be getting the exact same number of reps. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just want to pair him up with somebody else just in case there's an injury at some point. So I, I don't read anything into that. Exactly. And that, as you just mentioned, that's something that we've known Matt Patricia has done in his first two seasons as a head coach, that he definitely rotates players in training camp just to see how they can perform. Again, if there be an injury, if we get really low on the depth chart and we need to fill in an emergency position, we know he does that sometimes in training camp with either offensive line, defensive line, or yeah, just other players, whether it be safety, anything. So he could just be trying out, like you said, different packages to see who works and who can play together. So Another thing, a couple other players becoming um, fully healthy again, like Romeo Okora is back to full health after he was placed on NFI list. So what do you think about that? And do you think that he's going to be able to stay healthy throughout the season? Or do you think he's going to be a little bit more injury prone? Yeah, the fact that he's looks like he's full after a short two-week stay on NFI suggests that the NFI issue was not a big deal and possibly a COVID-related issue. Yeah. So I... I I'm not worried. That's a really good sign. Yeah, right. yeah. And then just a couple minor injuries. We got DeAndre Swift and my, uh, Marvin Hall, who have been um, missing a couple days. But again, I don't think that's anything too major. D- Jimmy, you're the doctor. What do you think about that so far? Yeah, not much information about either of those guys. According to Justin Rogers, Swift had an upper leg injury. We don't know what any of that means. So we'll just have to keep monitoring it. Yeah, and that's one thing that sucks right now is because technically teams don't actually have to report any injuries until somebody is on um, uh, on an IR or any type of list, technically. So we don't really know anything as of right now. And then, as we mentioned, we were talking before we got on air, um, Jamal Agnew and Quentin Cephas are actually looking pretty good at wide receiver. So that's a very good sign and a very stacked wide receiver group. Have you noticed any takeaways from them, Jimmy? Yeah, Chris Burke mentioned that both those guys were looking good. So it's a good sign, hopeful sign that Agnew is looking good so far as a wide receiver. But still, I'm a little skeptical about the whole transition. Not too many players, if any, have had a very successful transition from defense to offense. (laughs) So you can look good catching passes in a training camp with nobody hitting you. But once people start hitting you, that's, that's what separates wide receivers. Yeah, well, it's going to be a long training camp, so we'll definitely see if he can make the team. And again, talking about a deep wide receiver room, we the Lions also re-signed Chris Lacey, who has been with the team recently. And then Kenny Galladay has kind of, I wouldn't say requesting, but he's very hopeful to get a new contract. This is a contract year for him, and he has been playing well um, out of his third-round range. So what do you think about them re-signing Chris Lacey and the whole Galladay contract situation as of right now? Yeah, Chris Lacey played a decent amount for us last year, 12% of offensive snaps, 16% of special team snaps. So you want experienced guys this COVID year to mm-hmm. be able to come in and play for you. Yeah. As far as Galladay, he said he was hopeful a contract gets done before the season. And from his perspective, I totally understand why, because he's only made $3.2 million over four years. Mm-hmm. There are 
backup guys who are making $3.2 million for one year. So he's not made much money. If I'm him, we're already into training camp practicing. The risk of a severe injury becomes real at this point. I want an extension done ASAP this week. I want it done now to get that life-changing money, even if that means I have to give up a little bit if compared to waiting a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just – it's. I don't know if it's a matter of if. I think it's just a matter of when. I'm pretty sure Kenny Galladay is going to get an extension. They're going to try and keep him here long term. But we also have Taylor Decker who is up for an extension as well, and we've had this conversation many times if we had to choose one. Who do we choose? And we're not going to get into that. That's a whole different topic of conversation. But it's just going to be interesting to see if Decker possibly gets an extension before Galladay and how how that just is going to play out in the locker room and if that could affect the team in any way. Do you think that's a possibility that Decker gets an extension before Galladay? And if so, again, if that could affect the locker room at all. Kenny's going to be easier to sign because he hasn't made as much money. Yeah. So if we give him a decent signing bonus for him, that's life-changing money. Taylor Decker is on a five-year $21 million contract. So he's made a decent amount of money already, which makes it a little bit more difficult to offer him life-changing money. Mm-hmm. Our hope is that we sign at least one of these guys now so we could use a franchise tag if necessary next year. Again, I'm expecting Kenny Galladay to be signed fairly quickly because he doesn't want to take any injury risk. Right. And hopefully we see Taylor Decker signed shortly after that before the season starts. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Decker, not Decker, I think Galladay is going to get an extension here soon before the season starts. So it looks like that's going to do it for us today. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. We always appreciate it. We'll see you again next time. You are now listening.